Good morning, everyone. If you're a guest here, you're very welcome. It's great to have you. Uh, my name is Suroosh. Uh, Mahwash, my wife, and myself are members here at Jubilee. She's translating towards the back row. I'm hoping she's not telling jokes on my behalf now. <laughs> uh, isn't it wonderful to be able to worship God together uh, in unity as part of a family? Uh, before I go ahead with the preach, I just uh, wanted to share something that's been in my heart for the past couple of weeks, really. Uh, as you may know, I, I've been wrestling with poor health uh, for the past few weeks. Uh, I had an operation to remove my kidney stone uh, a few weeks ago, and I've not been well. But uh, I was overwhelmed by the uh, amount of text messages, calls, visits, and emails that we received. I mean, I'm from Iran, as many of you may know, and away from my family and relatives, a thousand miles. But God has given me an even greater family here. It's just great to be part of this family on a journey together uh, to glorify Jesus. So I just wanted to thank you all for your prayers and support and for, for everything, really. It's just great to be part of this family. Okay, um, as you know, uh, we're studying the book of James, and uh, I will be continuing the series. Um, I, I wasn't here last Sunday, again, due to my illness, but I heard from many of you that Raj uh, fantastically preached on the se uh, second chapter, as usual. Um, that was the most difficult part of it, done out of the way. So, um, this morning we'll be looking at the first 12 verses of uh, chapter 3. Uh, I'll read the verses, and they'll also be projected on the screen. So it's James chapter 3 verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring, does a spring pour for, uh, from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, <laughs> living in this country for a few years, it had its effects on me. Uh, I've been a bit westernized. You can tell I've got notes, and I've got a few points, and I've got PowerPoint as well. <laughs> so uh, I've got three points today to talk on. Um, my first point would be pursuing power and position at church, uh, the destructive power of tongue, and controlling the tongue. 
anyone who's ever been uh, receiving a bully, at the receiving end of a bully, knows that words can be very hurting. They are harmful. James presents the matter of tongue as another test of faith. Because true faith will be demonstrated by speech, and so will false faith. Nothing is more telling of the truth than the tongue. It's, a, it's of great concern to James here in this chapter. He mentions the tongue in every chapter. He mentions it twice in chapter 1, and then chapter 2, 4, and 5, and a large portion of chapter 3 uh, is uh, specifically dealing with this matter. Now, James, as you know, is being used by the Holy Spirit uh, to show us that true believers who've been begotten by the Word of God will also manifest the Word of God in a new way of new life that they've been given. The new life will be shown in, by their endurance in trials, their humility in temptations, their obedience to the Scripture, and by them being guided by the Spirit, uh, and also by their loving concern for the needy and the poor. This is something that we have in our DNA at Jubilee. Um, it also shows by your life as a whole and as part of a community. And now, he says, new life, transformation, and salvation will show up in the way that people talk. Uh, their tongue, their speech, will tell of their heart. And so James is demanding here that we recognize that living faith shows itself in the control of the tongue. The union of faith and work is really visible in our speech. Now, the statistics say that men speak 7,000 words uh, per day, and women speak 30,000 words a day. <laughs> Forgive me, ladies, with all the respect, but this is the statistics, nothing to do with me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who counted it up, really, but uh, that's how much of a chance we, uh, our tongue has to do what it wants to do. And James has clearly put that into context. Um, you probably remember that as a child, when you went to the doctor, the first thing that the doctor would say is, let me have a look at your tongue. Let me see your tongue. And uh, it's the same here. James is saying, let me see your tongue. Because, uh, I mean, a nurse with a thermometer, with a small thermometer onto your tongue can tell you your body temperature. And James is trying to encourage us here that we check our spiritual temperature as well. We can do that through our tongue. Nothing is more liable to reveal the depravity that we have in our heart through our mouth. As the people in the courtyard said to Peter, this is written in Matthew chapter 26, verse 73, the way you talk gives you away. Now, the way we talk will, will uh, tell where we're from. I mean, not our language or accent, as you can tell, well, my accent is a bit not usual. Perhaps some of you can tell. Uh, but uh, what, what he says really is that uh, what we talk about can tell where we're from. We are blessed to have many nations here at Jubilee, as Paul mentioned already. It doesn't mean that every time somebody talks or prays in their own language, they give away where they're from, uh, although they might do, so you can t tell where people are from. What I mean by this is that James simply says that what comes out of your mouth reveals your thoughts and reveals what you have in your heart. Now, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that what we say... It reveals what we have in our heart because Jesus said that um, what flows from your mouth is what you have in your heart. But sometimes there is an element of time in there. So when somebody speaks, they don't necessarily say what they have in heart or you can't tell straight away what they have in heart. I mean, try talking to a Middle Eastern 
I'm from Iran, Middle Eastern myself, and nine times out of ten, you won't be able to tell what they have in their heart. Um, and it's not, it's not a bad thing, but um, I'm, uh, I mean, I explained earlier that I'm also a Middle Eastern myself. It might take a while in a conversation, it might take weeks or even months for you to find out what they, what they talk about. And I'm going to tell you the reason. Uh, particularly in the time of political unrest, which seems to be all the time as far as I remember, um, people uh, are very reluctant to talk about what, what they have in heart, because they're scared. Uh, they don't talk about their views uh, or even hold a long conversation because they're afraid and they're afraid that they might give away what they have in heart, which might be against the will of the authorities. Of course, this is one of the best ways of giving our thoughts away. Uh, words are usually the best ways. It's quicker than drawing or writing them down. Uh, James says that in all circumstances, sooner or later, our heart will be revealed through our words. I mean, I love art. I know you're surprised, but um, I love looking at drawings and pictures and um, paintings, but I've never been good at them. Now, if you tell me to draw what I have in my heart, even if I try really hard and do it, you might not be able to tell straight away what it is, because I'm not good at uh, drawing. But if you talk for a few minutes, words are the best thing for me to talk to you about what I have in my heart. Uh, it's the same thing. Um, God has made his children by his word. So we should be known by our words too. When Isaiah saw the holiness of God in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, he wanted to confess his utter sinfulness in the midst of a vision that he had. He saw the holiness of God. He expressed himself by saying, I am a man of unclean lips. Now, he didn't say it because he hadn't brushed his teeth in the morning, but he, because he knew the sinfulness of a man and he knew the sinfulness of his mouth. Nothing more marks the sinfulness of man than his mouth. So the tongue is the monitor on human condition. In, in this chapter, chapter 3, James calls us to measure our speech to see if it is consistent with what we claim to be the reality of our faith. Controlling the, the tongue, then, is essential, and James gives us many compelling reasons to do so, as, and we're going to have a look at them. While the entire passage is meaning for all of us, some scholars believe that it's uh, particularly referring to teachers. Now, it might well be, because of verse 1, um, and also verse 9, um, some scholars believe that it uh, signals a switch to a specific incident, uh, but then... As we read uh, along the chapter, we can see that uh, it's also referring to the community as a whole. It's referring to the church. Um, we can imagine James addressing a teacher that has caused conflict within the community. Uh, James's message emphasizes on the works that we do, which are the result of the faith that we have and what we believe in. Uh, he also says that blessing and cursing cannot come from the same mouth. Peace and conflict cannot come from the same teaching. Uh, but I believe that it, it, James is referring to community as well as a particular teacher or the teachers, because as we read along, particularly in chapter 4, uh, he clearly addresses the community at large. Perhaps this is evidence that lessons in chapter 3 about the wise use of tongue are meant for all of us. In either case, it's interesting that James also uses the first-person plural, we, 
to identify himself as part of it as well, as one of the teachers within the community. Now, if we look at it from both point of views, uh, that's referring to teachers as well as the community, James speaks to these realities in a rich and intense way. This passage compares the power of words to the destruction and spread of a fiery blaze. This is a reflection on the power that teachers hold because of the might and the danger of the words. After all, the tongue, although very small, can lead us astray as easily as a rudder steers a ship. Certainly, the goal of James in writing this is perfection of himself, other teachers, and the church as a community and a whole. Uh, James refers uh, to anyone in, in verse 2 of chapter 3, to everyone or anyone who controls their speech. The result of that control is perfection. Now, this is something that we will have when we live with Jesus Christ, um, and uh, we will have it in future. But this is something that we have to try to become Christians, little Christ. I'm going to move on to my first point, the pursuit of power and position at church. The first point that James needs to make is that the tongue is a powerful tool, and it's a powerful tool for evil. He does this through a long, careful argument. He says that the tongue is the chief tool for the teacher, so that, that's where he begins with teachers. And he says, not many of you should presume to be teachers. I, I believe that it means not many should become teachers. Many want to be teachers and leaders of Christian communities. Uh, that, James argues, uh, is a dangerous impulse. It can lead to conflict within the church. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but it can lead to conflicts. One reason is that even if the desire to become a teacher is motivated by the best of reasons, the teacher will be judged more strictly. That's what he says in the first few verses. James includes himself in that as well amongst the teachers, and reminds of, he reminds us of what Jesus said. Uh, he condemned Jewish teachers. In, we read that in Matthew uh, 23, verses 1 to 33, and then in Mark and Luke. Furthermore, also, Jesus taught that people are responsible for what they know. The teacher claims to know and sets himself apart as an example. Uh, so the teachers are not only teaching by words, but they also teach by the way that they live. Uh, so this is a great responsibility. And we can, as James is already telling us, the judgment would be stricter. The kind of teachers that James imagines are not dispensers of knowledge. They're not mere dispensers of knowledge. James imagines teachers who are communal leaders. They're called by God to shape community, shape communities of faith, the communities that reflect goodness of God, communities that are gracious and are loving. Such teachers do not hide behind podiums. Uh, but they're not, and they're not content with just delivering lectures, really. They live shoulder to shoulder with people that they teach. They live in the midst of their struggles. They share their griefs and joys alike. Such teachers are living examples of a life lived in faithful service. James again says, not many should strive to be such teachers, such leaders, 
And this is true because the power is too great for many of us to handle. Now, James introduces, introduces the subject at the level of teachers in the beginning. He now moves on with the discussion, and it, it gets more general, and it includes everyone in the speech. Certainly in Matthew 28, uh, all of us are called to go in, into the world and make disciples to the ends of the earth and teach people to observe what Jesus has told us. Uh, there are some who are compelled to preach, as uh, we read in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Woe is unto me if I preach not. And in 1 Timothy uh, 3, we read that if a, if a man desires uh, uh, to become an elder, which involves teaching, it's a good thing. Uh, it's not to contradict what James is saying, but it's to say that we do not embark upon a teaching ministry without a calling or without the anointing. And know that in the community that James is writing, there was some failure. Perhaps there were teachers that were bringing teachings uh, without considerations, and people were aspiring and ascending to the teaching role with little or no thought as to what implications it might have. They had no consideration for the responsibilities that it would have. But at the same time, the verse in Matthew 28 condemns the love of position, the love of honor, and the love of respect and high place. The love of being called father, rabbi, or master. Still, there are many who pursue that. There were many at the time that, at the time that James wrote uh, the letter, and also there are many today. In spite of what James is teaching us, there were and there are many who want to grab the prominence, who are impressed with the authority and the honor that this role brings. And they have absolutely little or no thought about the responsibilities and the accountabilities that teachers should have. Paul instructs Timothy and refers to such people in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. He says, there are some who have turned aside from truth. And then in verse 7 he continues, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say or anything they're affirming. These people had absolutely no idea of the possible implications of teaching error. And so he says, my brothers, and thereby speaks to anyone who bears the name of Christ, I want to pre prevent you from rushing into something that you're not aware of. I don't want you to rush into something that you don't know what you give up, uh, uh, capable for, something that you, uh, you're not aware of its accountabilities. Now, we spoke about the type of teachers that he might be talking about. Uh, uh, as, we can, as we know, James is writing to people with a Jewish heritage and a Jewish background, and among the Jews, there were official teachers. Teachers had uh, high standing in the society, people like Nicodemus. Many people were in awe of him. Many people wanted his uh, social standing. Many people wanted to be called uh, rabbi. And many of them wanted to be some, someone like Nicodemus. We must bear in mind that James is not restraining the genuinely gifted, the genuinely gifted people, those who are called and anointed to be teachers. Those who have a sincere heart to teach the word of God. Those who are uh, aware of the implications that a teaching error might have. He doesn't have false teachers in mind, but those who are ignorant. Now, we move on to point two. Uh, 
he gives us a warning about uh, destructive power that tongue has. We spoke about teachers uh, that uh, James was referring to and the community as a whole. Now, he's going to warn us about the destructive power that tongue has. He calls us to control our tongue because its potential to condemn is so great. James speaks about judgment when he talks about tongue. The whole context of what he says at the beginning, though he doesn't mention the tongue there, is the matter of speech. In Psalm 64, verse 3, we read that the words that are spoken by your tongue that is not set on God are like arrows. Arrows can kill from a distance, whereas a knife can't really do that. But um, in Psalm, uh, we read that words that come out of a mouth that are not set on God are like arrows. They have capability to kill. And in Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says, This is how you describe a sinner. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they have used deceits. The poison of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is, a, is full of cursing and bitterness. The focal point of our depravity is our mouth. <laughs> Jesus says, what you say flows from what you have in your heart. What uh, James is telling us is we must take good care about what we say, particularly when it comes to teaching. Teaching is a vital role at church, and James is trying to bring some direction to it. James warns those who wish to become teachers that there is great accountability. Much evil can be, ca uh, can be caused by tongue, uh, especially if we use it carelessly. James is trying to point out the fact that a dead faith, false faith, hypocrisy, and deceit are dangers of a mouth, of a tongue that is not set on God. Dishonesty has a corrosive effect on both the speaker and the hearer. Uh, I'm sure many of us might have experienced it, that if we hear a dishonest word, it's not only the us who is affected by it, it's the person who is also saying it as well. It has a corrosive effect on both the speaker and the hearer. Now, we heard about the tongue, what it can do, what it's capable of, and also the warnings that James gave us, and uh, about also the good things that we can do by, uh, using the tongue. Uh, he's telling us to control it, and we need to know how. Uh, we'll come to that in a minute. Um, but James emphasizes uh, on the control of the tongue. This is my third point. Um, the tongue has a great power. If you don't control it, it will control you. Uh, it has potential to condemn. It has potential to control. The only person who ever lived who had absolutely perfect tongue was Jesus Christ. We read that in John chapter 7, verse 46. We read that no man ever spoke like this man, like Jesus Christ. He was perfect in his speech, absolutely without error. And that's what we want to become like. That's what, we, what we're looking That He is our uh, example. He was the most perfect. The tongue in this instant expression of the heart is the expression of the heart because it can sin more readily and more often. I gave you the statistics, how many words we use and how many times we, we can come 
uh, we can be in a situation where we can sin with our tongue. Uh, it's, it can sin more readily than any other parts of the body. Uh, you can't get in a position to sin in every way with your body, whereas with your tongue, you can. Don't try it, though. If you can't control the tongue, the greatest sinner in your body will also be controlled because the tongue is the greatest. So if you control the greatest, the smaller parts will be easier to control as well. I mean, personally, what that says to me is that if I want to focus my Christian life on one thing, and if I want to get one act together, if I want to get one thing right, if I want to bring my whole spiritual life into control, I ought to work on my tongue. And it's not with my power, it's with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. We can't deal with the uh, dangers of tongue on our own. I mean, many of us might have tried it, but it's only through God, through His grace and power, that we, we are able, He would be, give us the ability to control it. We must be dependent on Him at all times. If the Holy Spirit gets control of the most volatile and the most potent member of the body, the rest will be subdued. So if we leave that to the Spirit of God, He will sort out the rest of it. Uh, James argues that we must strive for perfection. Uh, we, we know who was perfect in everything he said, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, James uses two examples that were very common in, in his time, and they're also common in our times as well. Um, the examples that James uses are a horse and a ship. Uh, the illustration that he gives is that we put bits into the horse's mouth that they may obey us. With them, we can turn the whole body of a horse where we want to. Now, I've never had a horse, but I've seen many. I've seen a few, um, but I've never had one. I know that a horse without the bridle, without the bits in their mouth, is useless. Uh, have you ever seen a horse coming to the field saying, would you like me to plow your field, sir? You need to get them and get them to, uh, you need to direct them somehow. You need to be able to uh, manage them somehow. Um, I've never seen a horse that volunteers to do something, that volunteers to uh, ride a rider. Um, they, ne um, they never volunteer to carry someone, but without the bit in their mouth, it's really hard to ride them. Uh, that's what James is saying. You get control of your tongue, you can direct uh, your whole life. And every, everything else comes into line. His point is clear. By controlling your tongue, the whole life is directed to a useful purpose. Without the control of the tongue, the horse is absolutely useless. Another illustration that he gives is in verse 4. Uh, the ships, though they are so great and driven by strong winds, yet they are turned about with a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires or wherever the impulse of the pilot desires. A huge ship, uh, and you might say, well, at, at that time, they weren't a huge, they were very small because of the uh, technologies, but I think that they did have huge ships because in Acts 27, we read that 276 passengers were on board a ship. 
Now, uh, you might again argue, well, that's not up to health and safety uh, uh, standards of this country, but, well, uh, I'm not sure many things are. But uh, 276 passengers in a ship, that is a huge ship, particularly at that time. Um, so a very small rudder in that ship steered the ship with this massive body. Many of us might have seen mighty ships. They're massive. Some of them are like cities. They move through the city by a very small little rudder. That's what James says. If you can just get control of your little tongue, you can move everything else. If you apply the power to the right point, you will have efficiency. Now, I, this word it usually bothers me a bit, um, efficiency, because uh, uh, it was one of, uh, in a meeting that uh, uh, I heard a very good phrase that we must prioritize people over time and efficiency. Uh, and I totally agree with that. But, I mean, with our tongue, we can have efficiency, but we can prioritize people in time over that as well. Um, so if you uh, apply the uh, power at the right point, uh, you will have uh, uh, sufficient control. That's the second point that James makes uh, in his illustrations. Uh, James is encouraging us to speak graciously. He's encouraging us to speak unselfish words, peaceful words. He's encouraging us to use those words. That doesn't mean that words that are brought to us are always peaceful and uh, encouraging. Sometimes bringing direction can be really hard. Sometimes, I, I have been in that situation many times in the bringing end and receiving end. But, uh, uh, I mean, the truth is that words, if not used correctly, can be harmful. But if they are used with the heart that is set on God, if they are used with the grace and love that we received from Christ at the first point, then they, they can be constructive. God will use our tongue for his glory. Uh, as I explained earlier on, uh, for those of you that might not know, I'm from Iran, and my mother tongue is Farsi. We have an expression that says, a small tongue uh, can cause the death of a large body. Uh, I, I tried my best to uh, illustrate that into English. I think it works well uh, with Marisha's translation. Uh, your tongue is like a master switch. Uh, we've all seen uh, electric switches in our homes uh, where there are a lot of switches with a really distinct master switch next to it. It's usually distinct with color and shape. If you switch that off, nothing else will work. Switch it off and try all the other switches. I'm not an engineer, but uh, I've tried that a few times, and it doesn't work. <laughs> um, now, that's how our, to uh, how our tongue is. Um, our tongue is like a master switch in that circuit board. You switch it off, nothing else will work. <laughs> um, one of the things, uh, it, I mean, one of the verses in the Bible uh, that really grabbed my attention was when Peter uh, brought that magnificent sermon uh, in Acts at the beginning, people were in awe and, said, and they said, well, what do we do now? He said, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord and Savior is a great thing because that tells of our heart. But then again, James tells us that we cannot use the same tongue 
to confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and then use that for cursing people or use it to bring to, to, to harm to other people. You know the dangers of tongue. It can tear down people. It can tear down churches. It can tear down relationships. It can destroy many things. It can bring division into communities. So we must be careful when using our tongue. Now, James has is, is, uh, told us about the dangers of the tongue. He's uh, telling us to control it. Uh, but we're not just left there. We know about its dangers, but we're not just left there. We, we need to know how to deal with it as well. And as I mentioned earlier, the best way of dealing with it is just leaving it to God. Leave it in the hands of the mighty Father, and He will sort it out for you. Set your heart on Him, and everything else will be sorted. We need to address the heart problem, because a tongue will tell of what's in our hearts. So the problem is with the heart. We need to address it, and the best way of doing that, the best way of addressing it is to bring in it, leaving it at the hands of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, when we bring teaching, we need to only teach to glorify Jesus. We need to teach to glorify the name of God and bring edification to the church. Our self-control, James tells us, begins with our tongue. Now, these are the practical points uh, that I've got to finish off really with. The main thing uh, that I would want you if, you, if you take one thing away with you today, is to address the heart problem, to look into your hearts, and to allow God to come and deal with, that for, uh, deal with it for you. It cannot be done apart from God's grace. There is no way you can deal with it without His grace and love. We need to seek to live consistent Christian lives, we need to live lives that gives honor, not only to God, but to our brothers and sisters. We need to give honor to those that have been made in the image of God. So with the same mouth, we cannot praise Him and curse those that have been made in the image of God. Now, I'm nearly done with this, but what I really like us to do now is just to take a few moments, to take a few moments to reflect in our hearts some of us might have been hurt by somebody's tongue. Some of us might have hurt someone with our tongue. Some of us might be weak in the use of our tongue. What I'd like to do is, if you take a few moments, just where we are, just reflect on your heart, bring it to God, and allow Him to deal with it. Just ask Him to come and deal with it for you. Ask Him to come and touch your heart. Ask Him to come and take away this weakness so that you will only use your tongue for His glory, that you will only use your tongue to praise Him and to give honor to Him and to those that have been made in His image. Should we just take a few moments together? Can I ask the band to come up as... I also want to encourage you, if you've ever been hurt uh, by words, if you've been hurt in your heart, 
if, you, uh, if you've been wounded and if you need healing, I want to encourage you to come forward and we can pray for you. Or tell the person that you came with or uh, just speak to one of us here at the front. But I want to encourage you to come forward